0: In this 162nd episode, entitled Keep Aiming High, It's a Long Winter, we have questions on FTP, zones, glycerol, and
1: much, much Much more. more.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the ten and a half (laughs) (laughs) of the Cojubin Motorsport Podcast for triathletes, duo-athletes, sporty riders, road riders, time riders, runners, mountain bikers and every fitness enthusiast out there.
1: Or whatever your distance and whatever your event, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster.
0: We are supported by No Pins, visit nopins.com for products such as speed pockets, trip tri-suits, triathlon belts, custom clothing and much much more. Also visit southfortracing.co.uk for many brands and much experience. And sat next to me is a bucket load of experience, it's Martin Crocker from South Fork Racing at South Fork Racing, and I'm Coach Joe Beer just filling in as a sidekick.
1: <laughs> I've never been called a bucket full before, <laughs> so thank you very much, Joseph, how have you been?
0: I hear you've been racing. Oh, <laughs> have, we done, have we done this already? <laughs> no, that was the last podcast. Oh, right. Yeah, that yeah. was the other one we yeah, did yeah. ages ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, have, have you been everybody, racing? Everybody's been racing. Everybody's been racing, yeah, everybody's everyone, racing. Yeah, everyone racing. races, don't they, yeah. Maybe. Have you got something lined up in September, maybe? As this is coming out in August, you got like something lined up in September? Well, yeah, Cross starts in September. Oh, Cross starts, does it? Oh, so you're not gonna be riding on a Saturday then? Yeah, still riding. Oh, still riding still on ride. Saturday.
1: Crosses only, crosses only an hour, Joe. You know? All right. So okay. we shall. We shall not impede our rendezvous. <laughs>
0: Uh, so there'll be a release of some new software pretty soon, but uh, I won't say about it till it comes out. Um, I did find something that I thought was, was quite interesting. It was a paper that's been out for a couple of years, actually, and I'm just going to throw it in now while are at the beginning because we sometimes do stuff before we get to the, uh, the questions. One of the questions is actually on a piece of paper, but I'm just going to go through. It's a piece of research that is connected with... Pre-sleep protein ingestion, so it's having protein before an athlete sleeps in order to let the muscle adapt better. So you can give the muscle, clearly, energy in which it is therefore able to either do more work or use that energy to make the changes. But the changes are made to proteins. So ultimately, it comes back to those building blocks. We need protein for building blocks. And there's been several studies actually done on taking protein in the evening. Something like, there's been 20, there's been 30, and there's even been 40 grams. Typically, it's, uh, it's whey protein or caseinate protein. It's, it's different types of proteins releasing slightly slower uh, to provide the building blocks. And when you put your cheery head on the pillow and fall asleep, that's actually... A key window of opportunity as your body, yes, it starts working on you know your different stages of uh, of REM to to put your brain in order and organised, but also proteins can help you make adaptations to the muscle. And this paper by Tromelin and Van Loon actually, well, I suppose the last part was um, was what I really wanted to uh, highlight, as it said, in short. Pre-sleep protein, so eating protein before you sleep. Okay, it represents an effective dietary strategy to improve the overnight muscle protein synthesis. So actually improve the fact that if you train the muscle, the proteins can then be used as building blocks. Thereby improve the adaptive response to exercise training. So it's no good taking protein just because you take loads of protein. It's making the adaptive Response better, and that means it's actually allowing, I suppose, an an additional meal for many because they wouldn't, you know, we've all been told no, don't eat before bedtime. This is saying actually, if you take protein very late in the day, it does assume there's been a gap since the previous meal. You don't want to eat your meal and then immediately afterwards take more protein because that, that's almost saying there's probably protein in the meal anyway, so you might be just adding more. Uh, building blocks now excess protein can be eventually converted um, into sort of you know excess uh, body fat but it's such a difficult process your body will use that protein in miles more ways than automatically turn it into um, you know excess body fat it's always better if somebody's trying to Make their body uh, utilize fat stores and cut down on calories slightly to increase protein because it makes you feel satiated for longer, and it also also has the, the benefit that your body has to break it down in order to take what is a series of proteins, you know, that's um, it's a dairy product, it's eggs, it's meat, it's something, break that down into the individual amino acids and then use those for separate processes. So there's a breakdown that's a lot more energy, um, sort of, should we say, inefficient than if you take something like a carbohydrate. So I just wanted to say that because as we get to the latter stages of the season, perhaps people are starting to notice they're not quite recovering or they've got their biggest, longest races, or they're thinking of really getting into their strength training as a process of of off-season adaptation. Then protein is part of the building blocks and so many think that they're hitting protein intake right and you look at the sources you know and they're 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 just not uh, your baked beans on toast your you know your, your, your peas as a major source of protein and things like that it's like look you've got to get high quality protein in some of your meals and this is looking at maybe you can drop in you know a late night um uh, you know sort of whey type drink um, some products are out there that already exist that allow you to um, to take a you know it's almost like having a nightcap but it's a very specific athlete nightcap that's got high protein building blocks and Bob's your uncle. extra recovery time so as far as with just a quick recap on
1: proteins so there's there's a couple of different ways that you could have it so you've got uh, whey casein you 've got soya as well wouldn
0: 't count that so, as a major protein for people to take um, there 's reasons, but I would say go for the go for the you know i mean you could go for things that were high in protein. this is specifically looking at um, often they 're looking at protein powders because this is an additional this isn 't saying you know have a protein drink instead of your supper this is saying right okay as an additional recovery um, option, particularly think when people are in high training status or perhaps they're racing really hard and then they're trying to recover and do it within a few weeks and their body's trying to get tired. Now, at a certain point maybe you do uh fit the rationale that having a powder, mixing it, maybe adding it to some milk or whatever, and then drinking it. You know, at that point, we're not saying that's your evening meal. No, there's no vegetables in there, there's no fiber, you're just taking protein. But as a as a one off Additional way to improve. Um, there are some reasons why some people don't take it, particularly if they've already had quite a late evening meal. So I've heard that um, from a few sources actually. Yes, you don't want to have more, more, more. But you're, I suppose you're not, going back to the, the podcast um, last month, you're not necessarily saying this is for everybody, but it could be for people that find that they don't get enough protein in. And actually, one high-quality sauce late in the day is OK. It's not saying everything you drink and eat should be coming out of a, a tub with a, with you know three scoops, drink it, that's your breakfast, dinner, tea. Um, food would be incredibly boring. You know, it's nice to have real food, you know, real whatever food, you know, insert whatever food you really like. I think, oh, I really like eating that. Of course, we don't want to just have, um, you know, syrups and... Jollops and things like that. Jollops well, we're like, we're yeah. Real food, different. But it's, but it's you know it's a piece of research. There, there are definitely other papers as as well as that paper which have um, have have come out with this idea that it it is a way to help the body respond. And if it's let's say it's three four hours, well, if the person's trying to adapt, this is saying for that three four hours you are getting building blocks. If you consider your body. To be a building site for that three or four hours while you're falling asleep your body's getting bricks to the building sites and are you always getting to the end of the day say oh i've ate enough i've drunk enough i've got everything right and my body's responding often people that are perhaps fine to get to get the body to build muscle i'm thinking particularly ectomorphs that seem to find putting on strength is quite difficult this can be a way of getting another meal in okay it's only you know what's um you know, thirty grams of protein is only one hundred and twenty calories, but it's it's like putting all the building blocks in with no excess calories. It's perfect. It's a perfect building block for somebody that says I don't want to eat another meal, but I want to put more building blocks into the body. So I think that you know there are some that find it difficult to actually um, to actually be able to get their uh, get their like um, their, their body lean mass to adapt properly to training, and <coughs> a protein would come in very handy. Shall I get on with the first question? Go on, do it. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just trying to wait for the um, the, the iPad to uh, to wake up. So the first question I actually got on a piece of paper, which is the piece of paper I have got here. And this was from Paul. And Paul actually, um, he said, uh, and I was trying to read it on this piece of paper, and it's, it was really... Uh, it's not the best of, of uh, writing, shall we say. Um, how long after taking an SIS gel, um, does it become effective? And actually, it depends on the uh, the other competing things that are coming about in the stomach at the time. But typically, if you took a gel, you took a finger prick sample to look at blood sugar and you took it through various segments of time, it should be 10, 15 minutes later, you're starting to see that that blood um, is clearly showing more glucose um, and therefore you're uh, you're seeing that what went into your mouth, down into the stomach, is now being delivered to your finger. If it's been, uh, get my teeth in. If it's been delivered to your finger, that means it's also being delivered to your muscle. So 10, 15 minutes after a gel, is taking at the mouth, you can see it actually, if you like, appearing at your legs, feeling like you can use it as energy. Um, Whether it's effective does depend on whether you need that. And I say that because if you're working at a very low intensity and you've only just had a gel 10 minutes earlier, that gel might not be effective. You might be Uh, putting in either potentially too much sugar into the system in one go. It needs sugar. I'm not saying sugar is bad, but you might be either stacking it up in the gut and effectively, uh, like we talked about last month, you could start getting the the gut to be overloaded with potential carbohydrates. Or you could just find that you don't find it's effective because there's already a gel going through the system. So whether it's effective or not depends on, if you're actually having to utilize that as fuel. If you're working at a very low intensity, you're not actually in a low blood sugar or a low energy point, you could get by maybe without the gel. However, if we get to a scenario we've all been in and we're absolutely hanging, our legs are getting empty, we can take a gel, and at the mouth you can feel almost instantaneous relief that you know that you've taken some food and what you notice is that instantly makes your legs feel better and you do feel it properly about 10 minutes later but the actual sensation that is making a difference will literally be the moment that you put the gel in your in your mouth so the other way that that gel could be effective Paul is that there are some research, and we may have referred to it two or three months ago, whereby you can take a gel in your mouth, you can swill it around and then spit it out. There are sensors in your mouth that sense that there's energy coming in. It immediately says to the higher level, your brain, the thing that's trying to basically juggle the difference between fatigue, and resources that your body has and tell you whether you're actually needing more uh, fuel, whether you need to slow down or whether you are actually in a good position and you can now do more work. The thing with the gel in the mouth is that it would be effective even though you didn't consume it and you spat it out. That can only be useful, really, if somebody cannot tolerate any more in their stomach but they wanna kid themselves that they uh, can work harder. It's a very rare scenario, but it does show that the gel could be effective just by the fact that the mouth senses that gel and it hasn't even got into the bloodstream. But typically we think 10 to 15 minutes after the gel is when we're going to see it. So if you delay 15 minutes and miss a feed stop and then you take a gel, that's going to be a half an hour delay between the two points because you didn't take something, 15 minutes later you think you are going to take something, that means that that then delays for another 15 minutes, so at 30 minutes you start to sort of get back in the game and the effectiveness of gels often comes down to what has preceded it. Your part two, and this is where I'm really going to struggle with your um, with your writing. Uh, runners. Runners. I don't even know what you've put. Runners or riders belly. What does that say? I can't read his writing. What does he say? Oh, do you know what? It's here. I'm going I'm I'm to I'm read his... He actually sent it to me. Don't worry about the piece of paper. I'm going to send... This is where stuff that's digital i it's in a in a um email is better so he says what supplements are there out there for runner's belly or cyclist belly um and i suppose he sort of means like reducing weight if you're talking about the belly now is that belly the process or the product of drinking alcohol, because if you drink alcohol and you drink enough of it, and you, you you know you don't you don't effectively process it well, that's where you get you know the classic beer belly. So, is it is it really a cyclist or runner's belly, or is it the fact that your um, your body's processing of alcohol is not as good, therefore you build up some uh, some some fat around the belly? Is it that you are over consuming carbs at times that you don't need? And therefore, the uh, the gel you talked about earlier. If you had too many gels, you know, you sat down at rest and you start eating gels when you're not training. Eat enough of them, and eat enough of anything, and you could start like Martin's doing in the background, eating his um, energy bar. Sorry. Yeah, he's he's so hungry. Uh, it could be that you could easily get the runners, cyclists, anything belly just by overconsumption of calories. Um, and I don't know that you immediately have to think about what supplement gets rid of the, uh, over, if you like, over storage of fat around the middle. It could be more case of, are you starting with the very basics of, um, of getting the nutrition right? (laughs) Um... Because if you get nutrition right, no matter what supplements you're on, if you're overeating carbs, if you're constantly, you know, sipping on fizzy drinks, and that's creating a, a yo-yoing of your uh, of your blood sugar. If maybe you're not training as much, but your appetite is still at the level that you were six months earlier, I think there's there's lots of people looking at supplements to try and fill in the gaps for the fact that their diet's gone off the rails and therefore the supplements aren't really the the key it's really a case of getting back to the basics of their diet are they are they doing you know meals that are fairly little and often I know it's not always possible to do that depending on people's um, work regime but you know is there a little bit of food Every sort of three ish hours are so they trying to divide their calories up rather than get to the end of the day, not having that much and then overeat and they go to bed, not with the research that we spoke about where there 's you know one hundred and twenty calories of protein going in where somebody 's putting in twelve hundred calories of a massive meal and it 's sitting on a body that didn 't have time to train and they' just put on weight so I think the you know the the, the belly bit might be down to your habits. Um, I think um yeah, I think it's always it's always a tricky one because there are supplements we know make the body more effective at using certain nutrients, but I'm a big fan of fasted training, so teaching your body to tap into, you know, an hour or two of, of steady exercise and therefore it does learn how to become more economical. But also watching that you don't get into the overconsumption of carbs, thinking that you've got to eat like ten men. Even though you're not really training like it And then people's diet Always exceeds What they're getting rid of Case in point point. Mm. Um, and, and does Is
1: it the case of That the runner's or rider's belly Is are, Is the question being asked As in toiletry I'm, habits <laughs> I mean I'm really sorry to say that You know, do, do you think that could be another Angle at this Oh, what, you mean like, like runner's trot? The trot, yes, sorry. I'm trying to think of a way of putting it without... Uh, that but you don't really get it with cycling. You don't really get it with cycling. no, you are right. So, um, you know, if it's a nutrition thing, then,
0: yeah, I, yeah. I think you are kind of you're, you're bob on with... Well, mm. you definitely bob on with, uh, with that, so... The, he, other, the other part about his question, and he gave this to me... He gave me that piece of paper at the, uh, the Cambridge Chrono. So where there was the um, there was a TT on the Saturday and then there was the Sportif on the Sunday. And um, he also added to his thing, my race went well yesterday, although missed out on qualification by two minutes. Got my fueling spot on, and your advisory um, electrolyte tablet in the bottle over just plain water was spot on. No need to stop for a comfort break during the 78 miles. Thanks. Paul Matthias and Paul actually put a picture. I think he did it via Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I'd completely forgotten about There's this picture, which was in Majorca. In blimey, was it? I think it was 1997 because uh, Tony Bell, who used to uh, subsequently wrote for the back of Cycling Weekly, wrote the, you know the final page on the back of Cycling um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Tony Bell, we did a um, uh, we did a. Back to Fitness project. And we went to Mallorca and this chap said, can you remember I was there on that camp? And it was suddenly so like, wow, that was a long time ago. And he, he, he spotted me and came over and then he said, oh, I've got a question. And I gave him his... SIS stuff That I said I would If somebody gave me a question And he gave me that piece of paper And the follow up was While we were stood there And he says I've got this four teeth tomorrow What should I do I keep having to pee And I said Well you need electrolytes In the bottle You're drinking plain water That's why you're peeing He put the electrolytes In the bottle And subsequently didn't stop So that made him quicker Okay he said Like he was still Two minutes But that's pretty fine On yeah. a yeah. What was the distance 78 he said Wasn't it 78 miles 78 miles Yeah think, What was in 120 120 would be right? Yes Just right. right Yeah, just yeah, right yeah, yeah Yeah. So, you know And it was pretty damn warm I tell you what that's,
1: that's, that's probably helped, to that's helped. Not
0: to yeah, pee yeah. Sorry, but, but you but... can still pee In warm weather If you're drinking plain water Your body wants something That's got salt in it What were you going to say? You, you opened your mouth <laughs> then And nothing came I know, it was paused but your, That was there. a pause, is it? Oh, that was a, that was a uh, I think they call that A pregnant pause what, did it? Yes So Star number two uh it's got the words FTP again. Do you want me to read it? No well, if you want, I don't mind reading it, it's entirely up to oh you. You read it then. So uh
1: so this is from and this is about FTP from Ruan Ruan Ebershon? I would go with Ebershon, yeah. Eberschon. Eberschon um and it's uh currently he's looking at 70.3s um and the question goes hi joe been a fan of the podcast for a while now i've been competing and training competitively for three years and i've come from a running background i have an okay run engine aiming for a sub 130 off the bike and can do a 37 minute flat for a 10k offer uh, sorry i can do a 37 minute flat 10k off of um, an Olympic bike. My bike on the other hand is lacking. Uh, Current FTP is 300 and I'm aiming for a 240 MP weighing uh, 70 kgs. This usually gives me a two hours 50-ish on a 70.3 heli-course with a little wind and enough left for a 130 run. Here is my question. Is my run and bike engine the same? If so, they're just is there just more development needed on the bike, or is 300 my number for life? I seem to have found 15 watts a year, year on year so far. Um, is that muscle development tuning uh, the engine? Am I unrealistic to have a long-term goal, this is I am 37 now, A 350 watts FTP? I have been doing structured bike training for two years now, so thanks so much for the help and advice. Regards, room.
0: I mean, it's quite an ask when you go from a 300 watt FTP to 350 watts. I'm just like, you, you've got to either find some huge gaping holes in diet, which the training has been getting by with. That's a lot. Because when you look at, if you look at 350 at FTP, even if somebody is um, is sort of using their maximum that they're they're sort of squeezing out, you know, you're looking at that being... 450 460 watt max test now some of the current development of ftp has just been almost getting used to using what he's got available but if you've got a 300 watt ftp at the moment then his max is likely to be at around 400 Yeah, it might be 380 might be 410 but to then try and step that up and go to 450 it's just like whoa I don't know how you suddenly get an extra 50 watts on your max. What you've developed in the first three years is the ability to sort of, you know, probably sometimes squeeze out a bit more depending on how you measure your FTP. But the number that you get is the number that you get. So your target power for 70.3 is kind of your target power. And it may be that the, you know, 37 minute on a flat 10K... You you could work it out if that's roughly something like um, it's about seven hundred um, calories output, and you're doing it in in thirty seven minutes. Okay, so if you if you took the the seven hundred and divided it by the thirty seven minutes, and he's working um, he's working at a level that I think the bike. Data relate similar. They don't look they don't look out of kilter. I'm looking at those numbers, thinking I'm not looking at one, thinking that doesn't make sense. But the difference between the running, which coming from running background, you know that's solid. You know that certainly puts you at quite a high age group level. You know it's not it's not slow. But the bike is how much more can you squeeze out the bike and the technology and the position? Because in three years, I doubt if you know it would be incredible to already be optimised into a position that you're actually getting an already optimised outcome from the power that you put in. And if you're putting in, um, you say current FTP is 300, and I aim for 240 um, in the the 70.3. I work back from 70.3 being about 60% of peak power, okay? Maybe slightly higher with somebody that's been, doing it a bit longer but 60 or thereabouts if you take this 400 times it by 60 percent you get 240 so that normalized power i think is right i don't think that's going to go up and up and up and up i think it's more a case of looking at position looking at right if you're putting out 240 watts and you're doing 250 um okay that's a hilly course so you've got to be reasonable about how much you get out of your system. But it's not, you know, those are fairly solid numbers. It's really then going back to what you sat on in the bike. You can still run well, which is fundamentally a reason not to overcook the bike because you've got a decent run prowess. Um how much time can you take off of that? Depends on how good or bad your bike setup, your you know aero equipment. But when you're putting out I would have thought 240 watts You know, I don't know the course, so I can't say, oh, you should be going faster for 250. It depends on how hilly it is. You know, some people's hilly is, other people's quite flat. So some people could say, oh, yeah, you know, it's quite a hilly course. And other people go, there wasn't much hills in it at all.
1: But I think, again, is is the question is maybe not increasing the watts per se, but being faster for the
0: watts that you've got. Yeah. Or even being faster for less watts. Absolutely, and as you get more and more aero, you decelerate slower, okay, because you're not making as much, as much um, drag, so you keep your speed up with only little punts, you don't have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and if you get the, the speed and the aero optimised, you can get quite a lot out of 240 watts. Quite a lot more out of two hundred words. Yeah, I mean, you know, that that would be you know, I'm thinking of people that you know, you know you know power and you know that in you know, in being um, what Joe does is It means Joe, 70 kilos <laughs> Joe talks And then he's got his calculator in
1: front of him It's actually quite a marvel to say, For people that say that men cannot multitask Joe's, Joe's
0: talking and tapping in figures He, <laughs> he loves, loves it. it He loves this <laughs> but, <laughs> but when it comes to it That's what people are And when somebody You know Either punches above the numbers Or doesn't understand the numbers And I think I'm, not, I'm certainly not um, saying that In this instance Ruan I think you are getting your numbers right I think the difference being is that no i don't think you are just going to go up and up and up um unless there's you know there's a big dietary issue and if you're doing this and you're quite into it you know you're running a 130 you're biking a a 250 you know that puts you at uh that's 420 off the bike without transitions add on the swim You're, you're probably breaking five or very close to it so you know you're a solid age group athlete um I would definitely look at maybe the off-season, because not right now in the middle of the season, but early part of the off-season. Get blood profiled, because your engine's solid, but let's just check there isn't something that you're missing, and then you might find there's a few more watts. If you can improve your aerodynamics, because it's 70 kilos, you know, you're... you're Fairly light, you don't say your height, but imagine if you're running a 37-10k, your BMI's gotta be modestly low because you're you know running only just just over six minute miles. Um you're uh, a mere whippersnapper snapper of 37, so you haven't hit the point of definitely clinging on to each year like you're gonna definitely slow down. But if you haven't done it for a long time, you might find your body's in, in a good place because it's not been beaten up by lots of other sports. I think it comes back to looking at the equipment, every bit of the bike, every bit of, um, you know, you, if you can stay at 70 kilos, you know, don't go lighter and lighter lighter, you've still got, um, you know, 70 kilos into your 400 watts means actually put yourself to an acid test and go and do some time trials because that will tell you then not in a triathlon where you're holding back and thinking I need to do my 240 you know you should be able to work at a 10 mile time trial anything between 300 and maybe 320 watts at, at full tilt and then see okay how fast are you now going because you're not looking for hilly you're looking for fairly flat then you can start to realise how aero or un-aero you are because I think you know a a a 70 kilo athlete putting out that amount of power I would imagine might be quicker but I don't know what this 250-ish course is but it's definitely a case if you've got a good enough engine that we're not going back to oh do you know what you've you've really got to do a lot of work you've got some pretty solid numbers and I think um, you've found this 15 watts a year which may be just about you know you say I seem to have found 15 watts a year muscular development i'm assuming that's either 15 watts in the iron man pacing or it's 15 watts in terms of what you can hit a maximum but either way that's the early um that's the early part of what you're doing because you know you've been training for two years so you are very much on the establishment of what actually as, as crocker would put it you know what what minerals have you got and, and that's what people do say, oh, it's gone up 15 watts. Just yes, I know it has, but it doesn't just go up because you want it to. It goes up because you actually haven't been training. You train, the body starts to adapt. Then you realize that you get to that ceiling limit and people are then, yeah, delivering the same amount. And how do you get 15 more watts? Well, I'll tell you what, I bet you can find 15 watts uh, in your um, aerodynamics and in your, um, your whole equipment of your bike. And it does mean it moves away a bit from the training part of the equation towards the technology. But nobody should ever be uh, surprised that triathlon is a heck of a lot of technology that people use. You can buy performance. And if you're getting good feedback from what you are doing, well, there comes a point where you just can't keep training more, more, more. You have to optimise your performance. And on the bike, let's face it, the swim is very much about you in a three-dimensional model within water. On the run... It's down to your body mass and down to uh, how you um, basically how you run. And it's 70 kilos. If you can produce 400 watts, and that's um, basically that's something in and around. Uh, I can work it out as I'm as I'm speaking. But you know, 400 watts is is pretty much a, a decent amount of um, of. of Yes, about five and a half litres per minute or just over five litres VO2 max. So for a 70 kilo athlete, he's actually got a, a pretty decent um, like VO2 per kilogram. So it might be 70, might be over 70. So if it's, you know, certainly upper 60s, maybe just into the 70s. That means running wise, this guy can shift, you know, that's potentially with more training, he could go down into the 35s. So that's not impossible, looking at the weight and looking at the comparison between weight and speed. So it's all kind of there. We're not talking about somebody that's, you has know, got a 45 milliliter you know, engine and sort of say, how can I get quicker? Well, you're just going to have to train a lot more and probably lose weight because that 45 has is, is, is got to be something to do with weight. This guy's got upper 60s, I'm guessing, just with a rough calculation, at which point you think that person would look like a runner. They would be able to run a 37. They're not saying, oh, I did a 37. Oh, yeah, I've actually 10K. It was, it, was, uh, it was, yeah, it was actually 7.5K, at which point you're not talking a real, like, race. If you can do 37 minutes, you're, you're clipping along just over six minutes a mile, at which point it makes me wonder, is the bike because they've come from more of a running background is the bike the weak link because they don't really understand biking it's only been doing it two years i would doubt he's sitting in a position where i go lordy lord that guy is arrowed up to the yin yang and is getting a lot of speed out so it does mean unlike running which it is very much about the work ethic and being lighter triathlon is you know the person with a good bike can potentially outperform somebody that's just as good as them that hasn't got a good bike. And it's not fair, but nobody ever, you know, that's not, you don't sign up for triathlon to be, you know, equal, but ultimately if you're a runner, the best bit about that is that you get off the bike and you are in your element. So even if somebody as good as you on the bike, you may be able to outrun them because coming from a running backwards, you know how to hurt yourself. And actually in a triathlon, you are not hurting yourself on the bike. And I'll repeat that again. In a triathlon, (laughs) you are not hurting yourself on the bike because you can't. It is too early. You can work relatively hard in places, but if you overwork, it will affect the run off the bike and if you're going for that 240 watts and you overwork and try and do you know let's say you know 265 next minute you're getting off the bike and you're not running a 130 you're now running you know 136 and you're slowing down and people are running past you so i think the numbers that are there are very good but it does make me wonder that actually Ruan has to work on his bike technology and his position
1: but also just be a bit careful and Ruan probably knows this as well is the difference between power meters so if you if If you sell your kit, no one, I understand, not everybody is in the the position that I've got where, you know, most of the time, every 10 to 12 months, we sell our kit and buy new stuff for the year. Power meters, even though you buy the same power meter uh, year on year, there is still a difference between those power meters. So when you go to retest, 15, 20 watts could be the norm of the difference, but that's plus or minus, obviously. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing to be careful of. People get put, get drawn into the the trap of. Uh, of maybe the, um, the Zwift scenario where they use their trainer as their power meter. That power meter on that trainer can be completely different to the power meter that you go out on the road and ride your, you know, ride on your bike. If it's the same one, brilliant, that's perfect. But you get drawn into the FTP yeah. thing. Yeah. So the FTP yeah. thing is, oh yeah, but you know, I, I had um, I had a customer a couple of years ago that was doing their training indoors for time trial. And you know, we're, we're, we're producing these fantastic figures. But as soon as they came to the TTs and, you know, the, they were tr- they were then racing with a power meter on their bike going, I can't get anywhere near the figures I'm putting yeah. out on the turbo. Yeah. And you're like, how far out are you? And they're like 120 watts. <laughs> and you're like, that's a massive amount. It's, it, it's got to be something to do with your turbo trainer. Yeah. You know, why are you taking... Well, you know, use the power meter that you race with. And then when they did that kind of... At training with the power meter that they they race with, I went, oh yeah, yeah, the figures are a little bit skewed. So yeah. just be a bit wary of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, fifteen watts gain in two years. You know, like Joe said, that's that's that is doable from a runner to a yeah. triathlete. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Or and the, to and the, the
0: thirty-seven minute ten k and the two forty watts np add up. up. Do sort of add up. Yes, yeah, they're yes. not. They're not. They're not like so different at all.
1: So so there ways there are ways and means. Of triathlon. Is probably the best tool to be able to cross-check certain yeah, strengths yeah, and weaknesses, yeah, yeah, yeah. or to show up certain strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. But just remember that even in technology, as good as it is to have these these gadgets, these power meters, you know, you might go from one to the other. But I always, uh, if I buy a different power meter, I always do a test at the start of the winter. They're pretty much within for the last eight, nine, ten, So for the last eleven to twelve years, my power wattage has pretty much been the same within 15-20 watts yeah it's not that I've improved or lost. I just think most of that is in the power meters yeah, when I've used a yeah. different I'm
0: thinking that, again, with data I can see from time trials this year. It's, like it's within 20 watts. Yeah. And it's, the difference is that it's been, you know, from that best ever data to now, is it's different systems, but they've all been within the same ballpark. In the same.
1: So they're there or thereabouts, yeah.
0: We've got the next question. You're cool. not allowed to be embarrassed about this one, okay? You're not allowed to be embarrassed. Don't get all embarrassed. This is from Paul. But when have you ever room? known me to be embarrassed? <laughs> joking um, he's uh, time trial amateur racing open events and club TTs dear Joe Martin firstly let me express my thanks to the both of you for producing such an informative and interesting podcast all right yeah, I and mean, made you feel good yes thank good. you very much. okay my question is how do I calculate my heart rate zones please I want my training to be more precise in terms of 80% in zone 1 and 20% zone 2. So we'll, we'll, we'll look at that in a minute, okay, because that's slightly out of uh, My problem is that. <laughs> you would have been told. <laughs> <You've> been told <laughs> you have been told, Paul. Yeah, yeah, get your pen and paper out now and start <laughs> writing it down. My problem is that there are several different formulas for calculating heart rate, and would you or Martin be able to give me any advice on how to calculate in order to be able in order to be above or below threshold, please. Thank you. Okay, so there's several things that are um, they're not confusing. I just think there's there's different terminologies and stuff. So the idea, even with your uh, you know sort of um, your time trial background, you don't say distances, but I'm going to assume you know tens, twenty five, maybe even fifty. Is that yeah? Still, most of the time, the base work is you know what you do for your you know winter conditioning, what you do in between your Efforts in the season—it's um, not called recovery. You are still adapting, so you don't say uh, do time trials and then everything else is recovery. No, it's not recovery. It's just that you're actually putting the base miles back in, and the the twenty percent. And I don't I don't think actually that it is necessarily twenty percent for a time trialist. It, it could be. You'd have to see how you work best. You'd have to see. Um, We don't know how old you are, so sometimes with older athletes, they have to keep the higher intensity down to just 10% of their week, and they're not just picking out a... I don't know, programme out of a magazine that has, you know, two lots of intervals, one lot of racing, two lots of intervals, one lot of racing. And within three weeks, we're absolutely done in. So, And this is the eighty he, twenty rule he eighty twenty rule that he's yeah. referring to. But he says about, you know, um, and 20% in, in zone two. It's 20% in the next two zones. And if you, Paul, are working on, let's say, uh, let's say you're working on Garmin, watch it because there's one, two and three on there. And if you think you've got to do, yeah, it's a five zone. And the first three are what we and the physiological limiters call zone one, which is low lactate. It's less than 80% of your maximum heart rate. That on the Garmin system is the first three zones. So don't think that we're talking about you need to be at the bottom, my you know Garmin Zone One, and then and then uh, the next twenty percent is in Zone Two because you haven't even left Zone Three. Then so your racing's going to be up in four and potentially five. So it is training that occurs below um, below eighty percent of max. That's your Zone One. The other training, really for the most part, we're in the season now. So when you get This and hear this, you'll already be doing perhaps you know an event or even two per week. You know, that's going to be your zone two and three, that's going to be your hard work. And often, unless you know, we don't know your background, but unless you're you know a real hardened racer, that could be enough. You know, one race per week, you absorb that, you come into the next week, you've perhaps done another, you know, four. Six hours worth of base work as well. You go into the next race, boom, hit the next one really well. The downside of what you do can be that you could potentially try and seek out too much effort in too many sessions, and then and then burn out a bit. But it's um, you know, you said about like you know, problems the different formulas, calculating heart rate, etc. The easiest thing, and we we do it here, and it's a it's a very easy test. You get your um, you get your bike. Uh, You don't even have to have a um, power meter. You just get somebody's uh, system that will have power on it. You can use, you know, an indoor trainer that has power. And you start at, uh, I'd say, more and more like this 10 minutes of just sitting there below 100 watts, just getting your head together, just getting things warmed up and, and being in the moment. And then you start... at. At zero, press the button and for the next minute you hold 100 watts and then you go up 20 watts and hold hundred and twenty watts and then up another 20 and you just keep staggering each successive 20 uh, watt increase for a minute. And that will go up and up and up and up and up and eventually you'll, you know, you can pop, you'll be peddling squares, you'll be seeing Elvis, you'll be doing lots of things that, you know, people, 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 people wrongly try and get into an easier gear, actually, at a point you just keep shoving the same gear. But, you know, you pop, that is your maximum heart rate. If you also are measuring power, you can also find what is the maximum one minute's worth of power, which can also be of use. With those numbers then and you can say that's my maximum heart rate But if that's max then 80% of that gives you your zone 1 So it's quite, it's quite, you know, it's quite simple I think the test can sometimes be uh, confused Because people have, have got too many ideas about you know what this is all about it's take somebody to maximum and then take that number and you can work out zone one. You will be racing certainly your tens and twenty fives somewhere into the next zone two, but you'll also take it into zone three either at certain sections because you're going into a a really hard outward leg and then you've got an easy rear leg, or towards the end of the event, you can naturally raise the effort because you've got less time to push, so it isn't like you always hold a number, you can see people's power fluctuates and their heart rate fluctuates
1: and with Paul, by the sounds of it um, has only got a heart rate monitor yeah, because he's not can, mentioned power can Paul, can Paul use his race, race data be a way to look at I know it probably won't give him a max heart rate with like a 10 mile time trial Mm. Won't give them a maximum, but I've I've always done a ramp test, always done a max test um, to establish my zones for that yeah. training year, pretty much. Yeah. Um. But I think a lot of people with heart rate monitors, if you aren't, you know, if, if you aren't as blessed to, to, you know, and thankful, I've I've I have the money to do it, or you know, I'm in the in the, the, the right business to be able to get one relatively. Uh, cheap so inexpensive inexpensive um so i understand guys are not not skeptical but have these at least they have some form of technology to give them a guide yeah but if you have just a heart rate monitor can you do
0: a max test is it as reliable well you still you still got to have a work rate to work to that's it so you still you still have to have somebody's um power system that is taking you incrementally yeah because you, you you know what it's like if you just rode on heart rate it'd feel like you went up a gear harder but you'd just be doing the same gear but at, at sort of the last level you wouldn't be taking your effort up and there comes a point where you go well i have gotta start working now which if you were just changing gears you could just stay at that same point doing exactly the same you know 300 watts but you're not actually shoving any harder you're just going into a bigger gear yes. so you do need it you do need power yeah. but you know somebody could have a back wheel and just lend you a back wheel with a power tap or but something then
1: even you know if you think that the this probably a club that, that Paul is a member of there's someone must have a turbo trainer there that has yeah. power on yeah. and it doesn't matter how accurate that power meter is it doesn't, doesn't no. matter no. No. it's just that you need to use it as a guide to incrementally yeah. incrementally increase your effort Yeah, um, and it's quantifiable isn't
0: it pretty much yeah and then you get you know you're riding on heart rate you therefore get that max uh, you you so heart rate and power. Sorry. Yeah. So that max. of you know, that max. You can take eighty percent of the max to give you the top of zone one. You can also. You can also take that max and say okay, and you probably already have the numbers anyway because you've got a heart rate monitor and you're racing. But around seventy. What would it be? No. Around, sorry. Got my numbers wrong. About sort of. 87 maybe 88 percent of that number you could hold for a 25 might be slightly lower um sometimes people can hold it a bit higher for 10 you might hold nearer to you know 89 or 91 percent of heart rate just depends how much somebody's pushing their system but That's happening somewhere up, very upper two into zone three, which is racing. So whereabouts it is just depends on your form. You might find early season, you're just about above threshold, but you can't hold the whole thing. Get to this point in the season and virtually the whole ride, you can be absolutely on it and and right up into, you know, very top of zone two, perhaps spending most of your time in zone three with higher heart rates. That doesn't change where zone one is. When you go back to do your base work a couple of days later, that still comes back down and that still means that, you don 't race yourself to change your zones, like the chap said very much yeah. earlier, I think in was in that in the last podcast last about you know podcast. constantly changing it no because actually the zones don 't change what he can do might alter in terms of in pushing zones, it up yeah. but the the downside of heart rate as a as a metric for the racing is that also see hot days having just had a really hot day here, and heart rate was way up, but it was no more effort than something two weeks earlier where it was considerably colder. And the same effort, wattage-wise, actually had a heart rate difference that was something like I would have said it's almost 10 beats, may have been maybe slightly more, but that's all down to just heat. That's doing no more work, it's just the bodies and the stress. And the downside with heart rate is that I think you still, particularly over the 10-mile distance, still have to just race and not infer too much from the number because the number could just be elevated and you could be holding back because some of those beats per minute are actually just heat and you're thinking you're going hard. So over the short distance, don't overanalyse heart rate or power. Longer distances, you can use it to pace, but you still have to race. You don't want to produce exactly what you thought you were going to unless it's an increment of effort that says, wow, I'm actually getting a bit bit quicker. And it is. You know, it is like Crocker says, you know, it's, it's nice to have power because you realise how useful it is, and it is a you know a, a quite a considerable investment for people. But it is one of those really useful things. It goes beyond just coming back from a And oh I was in zone one and I averaged 170 watts. I mean that's not how you use it. You can use it for your benchmarks. You can definitely do specific uh pacing strategies to just see whereabouts can you up your effort if you're doing a an indoor time trial. They don't do too many of those because you want them to actually be outdoors. So you can do almost like a lab type scenario because you've got power meter, which is what they do with pro athletes. They test them on a power meter to see how much they can produce. It also allows you to check, you know, if you are absorbing that for the same heart rate the power's gone up. Or for the same power, the heart rate's gone down. And conversely, that could work in the opposite direction. So you've got your own mini lab. So I don't think power meters are used by a lot of people to the greatest end. It isn't about going out and doing a lot of your training to power. You can do some of it, but it's really using it as a benchmark. And then you start to realise you haven't just bought something to, to pedal against or to stick on the back wheel or whatever. You've actually bought something to totally analyse you and take away, you know, the sort of the outdoor, um, if you like, um, variances and say, look, if you sit indoors, you do these wattages. I know for certain wattages, if I get certain hours thinking, blimey, I'm fit. And then six months later, go, oh, blimey. That ain't very good, isn't it? (laughs) You know, and you think, well, that's the difference between being in form and being in the winter. But it all comes from not, oh, how many hours have I done? How do I feel? It's like, what do the numbers say? If that what is? What am I getting? And that's the beauty of it. It stops people questioning themselves just based on, have I done enough training? Or how do I feel about myself right now? And you just look at the numbers. And I think with, with time trying to be very much about power versus aero you've also got the chance of using your aerodynamics and tweaking stuff to say okay if I use a bit of Uh, a strip of road and i test you know position changes and i test equipment you can actually work out whether you're getting quicker and more economical not all done at race speed but just saying well i put in the same work but with that helmet and that suit on i was actually quicker and i went the other direction i was quicker still and you can eventually find um which is what i found this year that you're putting in similar powers to some previous times but the tweaks that you've made that you've calculated what it should be worth ends up making that difference Say, that amount of watts should make me quicker. And because you can measure the work, you're never questioning, oh, am I really pushing the pedals? You're, like, looking at the aerodynamics and saying, that change would make this difference in time. Bingo, it does. It does.
1: And I think with, with Paul, it it might be... Have you got, um, like, a test protocol kind of sheet? Um, yeah, we've sheet got that, we've got that say... sheet. that You know, the the sheet that we say,
0: do do yeah. this, this, and this. So, yes. It might
1: be worth sending to Paul just in case he's got... Um, Guys at his club or guys that he yeah. knows that can maybe help him out with that. Yeah. You know, even if he's, you know, his, his partner or someone so can stand So, Joe, to-do. I like, I like creating to-do lists for Joe. Um, I think, you know, that, that would be the help. And at least then, you know, Paul can have a look at wattage to heart rate, etc., etc. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it will become more of a norm... You know, power meters getting more
0: and more affordable, you know yeah. by by the by the day. Yeah. So what's a what's a one sided um in Well I know you've got to have the other side as well, but a one sided in is
1: they're under five hundred, aren't they? Yeah, most of them now are yeah. kind of four nine nine. So you know, you can get um, a single sided pedal that will that will be kind of four fifty, yeah, five hundred quid. Yeah. I know it is a lot of money to some people and, and we kind of bang these figures around like it's quite blase, but I'm very aware of of being at the forefront of uh, of retail, the retail war, you know, how much money people have and haven't got. Mm. So, mm. you know, even a little help heart rate if you if you genuinely just want to stick to heart rate brilliant but to to get these zones set up properly to get the most out of your training you will just need the help of a of yeah. someone that you know someone that you train with a friend you know've got has got something that you can incrementally increase your effort as you do these tests and then your heart
0: record your heart rate and power. And you won't wear it out, will you? Because you're not we're not saying go out on every session. a lot of base training, you refer back to the heart rate monitor, you just ride on heart rate and go yarn below, I don't know, let's say you've got a 150 Top of zone one. Yeah, I was I was out there below 150, did two hours, job done. You don't need to know what the wattage is, that's irrelevant. Yeah. You know, that's just that's that's using a bit of kit that should really stay on the race bike and be used maybe as a benchmark a couple of weeks later to see, okay, at, at 50, uh, sorry, at 100 150, 200 250, 300 watts, your heart rate's dropped, you know, four beats across each point. Oh, that's good. You're you're getting um yeah, you're getting fitter. And um you're not wearing it out, but you are using the the uh, the pedal the wheel the crank whatever as a as a yeah as a lab it's more a lab than it is kind of like a training tool i think that's that's where things go wrong because people like constantly
1: to have those figures attached to the bike and yeah. oh yeah i just did a ride and and averaged you know 220 watts for my 4 hours mm. you're like well you know what what you what you want to look at is the training effect, people ignore the training effect that they need to have, and the nutrition, the recovery, mm. you know, and, and, and the benefits of doing that. I can see it for the hard, super hard efforts that you want to get to, to, to like you said, put the icing on the cake, mm. um, but I think sometimes most of the training can be done by heart rate. Yeah. Especially if you have been using a power power and a heart rate monitor together for a few years, you know roughly where you need to be yeah, for yeah. that. So, and it's very rare that that, that any of us race... I mean I certainly don't race on the mountain bike with power but I do race with heart rate and I very rarely look at it you know I can go I'm going as hard as I can go (laughs) at that point
0: so and the heat and the terrain and the nervousness and the technical aspects mean the numbers are Just so out anyway, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's it. Plus, you can't look at that and also look at the oncoming tree. Well, that's it, (laughs) and you can't look at your heart rate and go,
1: Oh, you know, I I need to go harder because surely that's as hard as you can go. Absolutely, if not, you're not racing.
0: So, So, um, this was from uh, this was Twitter. Next question, uh, this was about glycerol, I'll explain that in a minute, and it was from uh. Mr. Ali Vongo, who actually did one of our early reviews that's up on uh, the iTunes website. Several times that, because we changed the feed, several times the number of people that put reviews got scrapped and it went again because the feed changed. It's a technical thing to do with the um, the feed of the zone. But his is one of the like most uh, early versions, I think, of review on the current... Uh, podcast page just because sometimes for whatever reason it gets deleted. But he gave us a question and he said "Um, with this hot weather is it worth revisiting the glycerol loading and the research to support it? Now glycerol is most people know glycerol basically the major constituent in um, cough medicines so that's glycerol, glycerin and it's actually technically a carbohydrate, but it's it's got a very uh, it's got a very um, interesting property, which is it actually um, attracts water. It attracts. I'm going to say off the top of my head, twenty. Is it twenty? Um, 22 times its weight in water. So it is hydrophobic or philic. Whichever way around it is, somebody will correct me on that one. But basically, if you have 10 mils of glycerol, it will attract about 200 milliliters of water to it. So it, it, it binds onto this um, onto this water. But what it does, and years ago, and this was this was something that I put in 220, this has been used, this has been tested, I've done it in triathlons like Nice, Hawaii, all over the place. Uh, basically, you take in glycerol, it drags extra water into your body to the rate of about, I think you can drag in about another 700 millilitres of water into your body. So you go up 700 grams, so you're 0.7 heavier, okay? But you've got that water in your body. Not in one place, you, your gut doesn't suddenly expand and you've got this great big uh, bolus of water in your, in your stomach. It actually, glycerol goes throughout the body. So you get 700 grams heavier, okay? But it's all water. Now this can be really useful if you're going into a situation where there's the potential for a negative water outcome. It's so hot, at some point, you will fail to cover your fluid losses, okay? So, uh, like I say, Nice, Hawaii, really hot, long races, and it was used. Yeah, it was used. Uh, I co-invented a drink in the '90s called Hydro Eight, which we used. We had loads of people using it. It was, it was, you know. And then, and then, uh, then people, yeah, they used it. But you know, things come and go, and um, eventually, WADA banned it, and they banned it because. They thought it was possible to use glycerol to mask uh, diuretics and other things by suddenly soaking in water uh, very quickly after an event where the athlete had, or when the athlete was using diuretics and then suddenly uses it to cover up the use of diuretics. So it was banned for a few years. And the moment it was banned, I took the fact sheet off my website, the article off my website, because it was then banned. And people asked me and I said, can't can't do it anymore it's been banned it's a, you know it's back it's come back on as of the first of January 2018 they basically said actually it's not anything that's um you know dubious it doesn't doesn't mask uh, the use of uh, diuretics so it's back on the list um how specific it is to people I would say very 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 specific they used it uh on track race and they used to just take it a teaspoon or two of it and, and basically coat the back of the throat because it you know, that's what cough medicine does So when you're really working at high intensities I remember Graham O'Brien giving me this tip when you're really breathing hard and you get that rasping I mean some people even get their throat to bleed. I mean they breathe so horrifically hard um, It coats it and the trackies used to do that, but they weren't dragging in water They were just protecting the throat because they were just about to go hell for leather, you know, our records things like that now Uh, long races, hot races there was research done by the US military so that they could have soldiers increase the water level they could go out for longer on their sorties and then come back again because they had basically more water I got a paper years ago from the um, British Olympic Association it's actually somebody got it for me it was was a top secret one and they were using it for the marathoners to basically uh, improve their performance but this is likely to be it's funny how Alistair actually um, uh, Mr Ali Bongo Alistair, how he asked about it because it's potentially going to be in peak performance because now it's back on the okay list. We were thinking of doing an article in peak performance about it and going back over and revisiting it because it is it is known about. It's just that for a lot of scenarios, doesn't really need to be used. It's only when fluid losses are going to be horrendous uh, yes, you start off 700 grams heavier, but if you're carbo-loaded, you'd start off maybe a kilo and a half heavier. So it just allows you to soak up more liquid. Whether it's worth um, doing it in this hot weather, it can help to rehydrate. So you can get fluid in if you're if you're suffering from just not being able to like drink enough and retain it. There has been research with both glycerol and creatine combining the two together, to call what's called hyperhydrate. You increase the body's hydration level. It's hyper, it's above normal levels. And it's now perfectly legal, but for most, unless you're doing a specialist event and you need to find out about it, for most people it's, it's something worth reading about, but you probably don't need to do it. But if you are doing a very, very hot event and you need to find out more, then it's best to contact me Via the the normal channels, I think is the best way to put it. But good good question, actually, Ali Bongo, because it's um very very relevant now. So relevant for racing or relevant for training? Yeah, relevant for racing because you know in training you can always yeah you can slow down, you can get used to you know taking on board more fluid, and and uh, in racing there comes a point where often people will have a negative fluid uptake. They will they will find that their um, their um, Able to uh, They're able to take in a certain amount of fluid But the losses are going to be um, Higher And If you get to that point and it's really hot You get to a point where the losses Are so detrimental Unfortunately You're um, You're in a um, They kind of call it like a you know a, a, a negative fluid scenario And it doesn't get better Now, If it's not super hot You're okay but if it gets hotter and hot and hot and you're trying to go and your body hasn't got enough liquid, you will slow down. So I think we're going to see it being revisited a bit more. It's certainly, as I said, very specific to certain race scenarios. For most people, the nearest they're going to get to glycerol is actually doing, um, you know, cough medicine in the winter when they've got, a, you know, particularly throat. But good question, very relevant because it's now back on the menu. Finally, question five. Question five. Shall I read it? Go on. Uh, this is from this is from Paul. Um, I've only got uh, at Paul 9 and he says. Um, blah, 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 blah. Does what? he? Yeah, yeah I, know. he I, don't know why I don't know why he starts it like that. <laughs> Normally, dear Martin or dear Crocker. Right. What are your top tips? For an FTP test. This is all about FTP tests this month, isn't it? Um, indoor, outdoor. Uh, how do I pace myself for a 20 minute test to ensure I don't either overdo it, likely, or underdo it? Also, you referred to training zones in past podcasts. Are these heart rate or power based? How many zones? Thanks. Well, that's, that's in a short question. There's a lot there. So it says, you know, What's the tips for an FTP test? Well, I wouldn't over. I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't overly put your put your eggs in the FTP basket. I think it's far better to look at doing the you know, going back to doing this max test, but doing benchmarking. Get yourself between 100, 150, 200, 250, and 300 watts. Take each of those increments, hold them for three minutes at a time. By the end of three minutes, your body's in equilibrium with that effort. So if you're at, let's say, 200 watts, your heart rate's 100 and, uh, what, 120, then that's your benchmark. If you get fitter, you do the same benchmark test maybe as a warm-up. I get people to do this on their turbo as a warm-up. You may as well do something in your warm-up. If you just jump on and suddenly raise it up randomly, you don't get into it like relaxed. If you go 100, 150, 200, 250. Um, okay, for some people, I've just mentioned them going up to almost max. So in some people's cases, you know, we go up in 25-watt increments. You might go 100, 125, 150, 175. But if you take those benchmark points and you look at what your heart rate is, if you get if you get improvements in fitness, whether it's, you know, top-end speed or low-end base, you'll see... That that heart rate drops. So even if I saw like at 200 watts, my heart rate was down three beats. I still know that three beats is still going to be partly there as you go up the wattages, and that's a far easier test to contemplate doing every time you get on the turbo. Not every time people do it, maybe once a week, sometimes once every two weeks. FTP is just a function of what of what you're what you're doing, and I'm assuming that Paul is, let's say, doing. Time trials. I don't know. I'm guessing he might do, but there is this onus around a twenty-minute test that's only really useful if you do a twenty-minute race. Yeah, yeah. You got very good at doing twenty minutes hard. Okay. Well, does that equate to the Ironman? No. So I know some people. They're they're sort of they're taking their their improvements in um, in a twenty-minute FTP test and trying to equate that to what difference it makes to the Ironman. And I'm kind of like, well, it doesn't, it doesn't really. It's just shown you've learned the skill of squeezing out extra, which is why he says, you know, how do I pace myself for 20 minutes? Well, to be honest, you don't need to pace yourself. You just get up to and try and cling on. But why don't you know what effort it's going to be? That's where learning comes in. But if you're only trying to improve that test, you could get better at that test. And meanwhile, every other part of your training is totally rubbish So I think people see the key to getting better to do a better FTP test. Well, actually, no, you're just getting better at doing the FTP FTP test. That may have nothing to do with the other facets of your training. Unless, I mean, if it's a 10-mile time trial, it's it's a pretty good test to check on. But I would still get them to do 10 minutes, 30 seconds, 10 minutes, because that's nearer to a 10-mile time trial. And you learn how the first bit you can actually turn it around right we know what your ftp is so i want you to go out 10 minutes above it come back and try and see if you can get close to it so you practice that going into negatives and positives yeah makes sense yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah perfectly yeah. yeah and i and I, I know i know ftp is a test but there's there's lots of there's lots of uh, talk about it and testing of it in terms of you know how robust is it as a training method it's not. It's just telling you how good you are at going for 20 minutes and how, and how well you've actually practiced going hard for 20 minutes. And as you get better at doing it, you're squeezing out the last one or two watts. But that doesn't make any difference to what else you do for other durations. So it's almost like, you know, don't just be like on a bike saying to somebody, ride a bike and then say, you no, know, well, how, how long can you go no-handed? I mean, you might be able to go no-handed and do it for a mile, but that don't mean you're any better at actually riding the bike per se. You might be a little bit better at balance, and you've, and you've learned that, and there'll be a tiny crossover, but it's not the key to getting better, the FTP20 isn't the key to getting better, and I think people have got totally, it's, it's like, it's one of these hanging baubles that they're all looking at and getting totally mesmerised by it, it's like you're looking in the wrong place.
1: But again, I think this may be the kind of Zwift Thing, this Swift era, where you know everything is concentrated on the FTP, you know, yeah. increasing your FTP and you know the training you have to do to increase your FTP. So, um, but sometimes I think just a decent, good old max test, get those figures on the board, and then start training in the zones is probably more relative, I should think, from that point of view. So,
0: yeah, I mean, it's 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 a you know it's a fair question. Um, Because he does say, you know, you refer to training zones in the past are these heart rate and power. Well, heart rate and power zones refer, you know, there is a direct comparison. If you are, you know, if you're doing your zone one, you are probably anywhere between 40 and maybe as much as just in some people's cases, they can be at 60% of the peak power. But... The thing with that is that somebody will try and stay in zone one and do as much power as possible, which now means they're right at the top of zone one. That's not where that's not where you train in zone one. So power and heart rate combined together, like we said earlier, you go out and stay in zone one. If that's your base work, don't worry about the power is. Yes, you might go out and use your power to do over-geared work at a low cadence. You might practice some... Um, um, Efforts of eight seconds to spin up. You might even do some specific intervals of, you know, 30 seconds at 500 watts with a four-minute recovery. But that's very different to going out and every time you train, being dragged into this whole kind of Strava and, oh, my wattage is higher than a week before thing, it just means actually you're trying to squeeze out more and more out of every session, and that isn't the right way to train. And there is a... I mean, I, I can always actually... um Follow up with Paul and sort of say... I don't think that's the same Paul, by the way. Um, Because you've had Paul, Paul, Mark and Mark. They're not the same. But... I think you can know how the two compare, but there's not really a way to spread them apart and to say, no, I want to do my base, but I want to ride at, you know, 75% of power in my base." You can not do it. 75% of power is roughly your threshold. So if you're riding at threshold power, you'll be at threshold heart rate. <laughs> 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 Unless you're doing it at 50 RPM, in which case you might just squeeze into zone one. So instead of being at, you know, 87% of heart rate max you're just squeezing it down to um, 79 because the low cadence is dropping the cardiovascular load, yeah? yeah? But you're still not really doing anything different. So I think there are ways in which the two things combine, but you've you've got to understand what is it you're trying to get out of the training by looking at that metric. Are you looking at power when actually you're only trying to stay in the heart rate zone, at which point power doesn't help you? Or are you trying to produce a certain amount of power and then seeing okay, what heart rate do I get for that power? Well, that's that's different again. That's that you know. I, I, I think people they are connected to one another, but you don't have to try and like have both of them in the same conversation. If you're going out in zone one, don't worry about what the power. Is it'll probably be between forty and sixty percent of, of yeah. You might have a spike that is so brief that you don't. Go out of zone one. But I don't mean that's that's your power. Your power will land forty to sixty percent of peak power. And actually it doesn't want to be sixty percent. That's trying to squeeze something out. You probably want to be at forty to fifty percent of peak power. That'll be enough to stay in zone one. And actually don't look at the power because you will want to squeeze the power up. Whereas the zone one is about coming down off the top of zone one and being lower. So those are diff- different mindsets. One's that's, about squeezing it thing. up and one's about squeezing yeah, it down. That's the thing, yeah. Yeah? But it's a good question. And I think I think if you can simplify things, um the beauty of of working with power and heart rate is they should make things. Easier. What we don't want is for people to be bamboozled by all these numbers. And you get people, and they are so over-confused about stuff. And they haven't got all the time in the world, and they, they haven't got enough data to pull upon and to have the, you know, yeah, I might do my calculations on the calculator, because that's, I know how they all figure. Yeah. And the moment somebody says a number that doesn't fit in, am like, no, something's wrong there, that is not possible, because you know how they should, like, triangulate with one another. And if if you try and overthink a session by looking at the power and you should just be concentrating on skill. It's a base session. You're not thinking about pushing harder. You know, you're perhaps thinking about the surplus of spinning really efficiently and coming away. And go God, I was pedaling really well. How much power did I? I don't know. It's <laughs> irrelevant. You know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, see,
1: I think sometimes now, you know, I'm I'm all for having the metrics to measure everything, but you need to take the correct measurements.
0: At the correct time yeah. For yeah. what you are doing Otherwise you just get big data You just get almost data That's just um, Data overload data, it really Oh much, absolutely yeah. Data overload um, We've had really good questions The past couple of months And I think You know It invariably comes down If somebody asks us What's the fastest wheel You know What, what, what do you think Is the best way To, um, you know, to do intervals We're, we're probably not going to be able To give you the answer But I think when people Give us these scenarios Of I do this And what do you think I think we can give them Our advice And and it also, it, it makes me check what I'm thinking, and it brings me back to thinking about what clients ask. And actually, a lot of it is about just clearing up some of the confusions that people sort of, they know bits of it, but they don't really know how to put it
1: together. And like you said, it, it, it's confusing because the information is coming at you every which way. So mm. it's not coming from your bike computer, it's coming from your teammates, or it's coming from your club mates, it's, it's, it's coming from an article that you've read um, Whereas everybody goes, Well, I thought I should be doing this, but then Dave down the road says I should be doing that or or Susan's popped in and, and she started to, to, to use this. Is this any good? You kind of know what you should be looking at, but concentrate on yeah. what you're looking at yeah. is correct. Yeah. That's that's all yeah. is
0: as good at information as you can get. So what, what I brought this magazine in was this was this was um this was the first article that I ever did for two twenty, which is why I brought it in because there's a picture of um Then they want that slate back. Yeah they do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um it's really heavy actually. A... <laughs> I must have I must have done it with a with like a pickaxe, I think, to have written the things. But it was um, This was
1: September nineteen
0: ninety two. I'm gonna go with one. There's it an advert, but, but, and, it was and it's And it's and it's to do with blood sugar. Okay, I'll take a picture of it and put it in the the Twitter feed, but it's blood sugar and what happens to blood sugar um, to do with exercise, whether you have um, basically whether you have no, um, there's another dotted line there, whether you have like a high blood sugar, whether you have a low blood sugar, whether your blood sugar really plummets, depending on what you feed people. And then how they, they all rode at like 60% of the power, which is top of zone, top of zone one. And then you look at, okay, give them a standardised breakfast, what happens to it? And, the, the, you know, it was part of my um, degree dissertation. But the question was, what do you prefer in the morning? Breakfast, bonking or glucose? And it was, whole, it was the whole, yeah, yeah they, they thought of the, the clever title. Um, <laughs> not, mutant,
1: not, me, didn't,
0: not did you, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I wrote. I read it back. and went, "Oh my god, and what have they done?" What have they done? No, this no, is no. a serious yeah. piece. No, 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 no. But John John Lilly, who's um, who's actually got a lot of the two twenties now, they're online. He's kind of gone back over and talks oh, about right. the stories yeah. behind them. So there is. I can't remember the blog, but it is out there. And a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant sense of humour. That man really, really funny. Definitely got the the gab of the of the humour. But it was all to do with looking at glucose polymers, and this was using um it was trying to use either um feed people on a like a sucrose um not sucrose sorry like a a sucralose type sweetener so they thought they're drinking something sweet but they weren't versus people that were actually taking polymer they'd all had breakfast or in some cases one of the scenario there was no breakfast and you just had to ride. an interesting thing people that were always used to then eating and going straight out the door when you gave them nothing and they had to ride some of them couldn't finish. And it's amazing because they were fit guys and they were just having to do something that the week before, when you fed them, they could do it. And it was the first time I'd done something to do with glucose polymers. And I thought because we were talking about it um, in the previous one. And that was taken, that was um, basically the blood glucose level taken every five minutes to look at what happened. And that was the 90 minutes at 60%.
1: But this, this magazine's virtually
0: untouched, isn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, this is yeah. Do you know what I um I I had a load of them and I gave them to a mate and he's been stored. he's stored them for like oh wow well, really years. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. We won't talk about that result. I'll talk about that result offline. I, yeah, want, yeah, I want to yeah. say something interesting about something else yeah. that was in there. Um, but once again, thank you. This has been uh, another, uh, another podcast where we yeah, really appreciate the, the questions, um, particularly one Paul that gave me at the corona. There's other ones I'm going to sift through because sometimes you have to like, not do exactly the same question that we've done a month or two before, and sometimes the questions are too repetitive. I'd rather them be a bit different than, you know, somebody say exactly the same question as the one before. Um, keep the reviews coming. Um, please send any awkward questions or things that are of, um, of, uh, of a nature that Martin... Of delicate have, nature. Of delicate nature to Martin. Oh, no, uh, I'm, Martin I'm, at... I'm, I'm Agony. Racing. Yeah, yeah, Martin, Martin, Martin Agony Ann. Yeah, Martin Agony Ann at Um Follow on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Also at South Fork Racing. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, train smart.
1: And have fun. That's the one.